Good morning, everybody. And welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to be with you this morning and, uh, you know, on the heels of a Packer loss. It's great to be in God's house. I'm in mourning. Yeah. Oh, oh well. Happens every year. Anyway, so. <laughs> No, it's really good to be together this morning, and I hope you'll be blessed by being together. Great to hear the church singing. I want you to know that. I listen from behind there, you know, and I eavesdrop on you all, sing with you a little bit. And it's good to hear the church singing. You sound wonderful. And it's great to see, you know, great to have Elena in the worship team. Man, I'd love to hear that alto coming out. It's just nice. So um, praise God we've got some people that are trying to encourage us to make, you know, music to the Lord. Uh, we're in a series of lessons uh, we're calling Jesus Is. That's been our theme for the year. And what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus the whole year together. And uh, today I want to talk about Jesus being a stone. You know, we, we, what we're learning is, is that names describe and define everything, everywhere, everyone. I mean, there's a name connected in some way to help us understand that. Jesus has been called over 198 different names have been somehow attached to the name of Christ. And uh, we're looking at a few of them. Some of them are titles and some of them are his personal name itself. And it's these names that, again, define and determine not only the identity of Christ, but I'm finding out they also identify how I see Jesus, how you see Jesus. And it's going to determine what you're, how devoted you're going to be. Your, your choices and decisions you make in life, the direction you take in life, and ultimately your destiny is all determined by how we see Christ. And we see him, he's introduced to us through all kinds of names that describe him. Now, it may be strange, it may sound strange to you to hear uh, Jesus referred to as a stone. I know the word stone can mean different things to different people. And uh, I understand that. But, uh, you know, uh, you, when you look at this, it, it may seem strange, but actually the word stone was a common way Jesus was, was referred to in the early church. If you study a little bit about church history, you'll, you'll find that uh, Justin Martyr, who was born around 100 A.D. and became a Christian uh, in 30, uh, 130 uh, A.D., two years after becoming a Christian, he was a, he was a man who had been trained with philosophy, with all the greatest Roman philosophers. He was a very educated man. And what he ends up doing is he writes this, writes a little, uh, his very first writing called the Dialogue of Trifo. And in that dialogue, one of the things he brings out is that Jesus is a stone over and over again. It was common, common language. Peter, who we know as the rock, refers to Jesus as a stone more than anybody, more than any of the disciples. I thought that was kind of interesting. And even Jesus himself on the heels of parables and some of the heels of his teaching would simply mention a quotation from the Old Testament about the Messiah being a stone that would be rejected, but yet would rise to be the capstone. And so we see this over and over again. Look here in Acts 4 up here on the screen and in your notes. It says, Jesus is the stone. Peter is saying this to a group of people. And he's, and he's telling them, he's the stone you rejected. But then, but it, but he became the most important stone of all. Now, why would Peter keep referring to Jesus as a stone? Well, let's look at some Old Testament passages. We find that this idea of a stone is just 
rich in the Old Testament. Over and over again, there are prophecies concerning the Messiah, and they refer to him as this rock. Let's look at one. There, these are all up on your screen. Here's the first one, Isaiah 8, verse 14. And he'll become like a sanctuary and a stumbling stone and like a stumbling rock for the two houses of Israel. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. He's going to be either a sanctuary, a safe place. We think a sanctuary, we think the inside of a church building, don't we? You know, I think I think we, we call this the auditorium. But the word sanctuary means a safe place. You could run to this place of refuge and find sanctuary. You could find safety. And he's saying here that some people, Jesus is going to be that place, while others are going. He's going. All he's going to be is in the way. He's going to be a stumbling uh, stumbling block. Simeon talks a little bit about this in the Christmas story. When you read after Christ is born, just a few days after Christ is born, they're in the temple. If you remember, Simeon would say Jesus would cause the rise and fall of many. He's talking about that. The stumbling block, this stone causing folks to stumble. Here's a quoted passage in the New Testament many times. And this is Isaiah 28 up here on the screen. Look what it says here. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. And I love this. Whoever believes need never be shaken. In Daniel chapter 2, there's a story where Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream. And his dream has this statue that's, that's made, it's got a head of gold and a chest of silver and mid, the midsection and legs are made of bronze. And then his feet, this statue is made, has a material of both iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar's freaking out. He's going, you know, you ever had one of them dreams where you go, what in the world does this mean? And it's kind of scary. And so he's scared to death, asks everybody around him, can you tell us what this dream's about? No one can help him. Daniel's the only one. And so Daniel prays about it and says, only God can help me with this dream. Kind of like Joseph. And he interprets the dream. He interprets the dream. One of the things that, that Nebuchadnezzar notices is here found, as found here in, in Daniel 2 verse 34. A stone was cut from a mountainside, but not by human hands. The stone struck the feet, completely shattering the iron and clay. So this stone comes out of somewhere. It isn't from the earth. It isn't really from, from any man. It comes from a mountain, an established, solid piece of rock, and it strikes this statue at the feet of it, and the whole thing crumbles. The Bible goes on to say that the wind would carry the ashes away, kind of like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember when the Nazis are completely, and the wind, and all they got is the pendant? That's what, that's what's happening here in Daniel 2. Same kind of thing. I wonder if Spielberg got the idea there. Because all evidence of these kingdoms, of these, of this statue is gone. Well, as Nebuchadnezzar is trying to figure this out, Daniel explains to him what this statue means. He says, O king, the head, the gold is you, the Babylonians. But after you, another kingdom is coming. That's the silver. He's talking about the Persians. History confirms this, folks. He's talking about the Persians. After that, another kingdom is going to come. It's going to be like bronze. And he's referring to the Greek empire. And after that, you're going to see another kingdom come whose feet are mixed with clay and iron. They're a divided kingdom. There's, there's some strength about him, but there's some vulnerability about him too. And he says, and this stone's going to come, 
and it's going to crush him. And let's look at these verses here in verse 44 through 45 here in Daniel 2. And he says, at the time of those kings, and he's talking about the kings of the, of the iron and clay. He's talking about the Roman Empire. At the time of those kings, the God of heaven will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will smash all the other kingdoms and put an end to them. But it will be established forever. This is the stone you saw cut out of the mountain, but not by humans. It smashed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. And so we see this stone. It's going to come during the Roman Empire, and it's a powerful stone. And it will never, it can never be destroyed. It's going to make its mark, and it's going to stay put. It's going to, it's going to be there forever. Here on your notes, the psalmist said this, the stone which the builders rejected as worthless turned out to be the most important uh, of all. He's talking about, you know, they, they build homes, many homes with stones. And he says, and this stone, the most important stone, he's talking about the cornerstone. These guys that, the, that when they would build back then, you know, today a cornerstone is just a, a decorative thing. It's on the side of a building, gives you the dates when it's built. Sometimes there's goodies inside it. They hollow them out and put goodies inside to be opened later. But in, during the Bible times and during ancient times, no, this stone was very important. The very first stone you're going to lay is the cornerstone. And a lot of people would say, well, let's get the, it's got to be at the right angle. It's got to be the right shape. It's got to be able to, to support a lot of weight. And he says this stone here was rejected by the builders. It didn't fit their plan. They didn't want this. So they toss it aside. He goes, and that was the most important stone of all. This is the most quoted passage in the New Testament when it comes to stones. Peter keeps quoting it. Jesus keeps quoting it. Paul keeps quoting it. It's a key passage. Why is it so so important? Because he's saying that this, this stone is important. Jesus is the most important stone of all. Why? Let me give you four reasons why Jesus is the most important stone of all. First, because Jesus is the cornerstone. I can live secure. Here's what the Bible says, and, and Peter is quoting this passage in Psalms. He says, For the Scripture says, I chose a valuable stone which I'm placing as a cornerstone in Zion, and whoever believes in Him will never be disappointed. He, I, I'm sorry, he's quoting Isaiah 28 here. And, and he, he says this person, this stone, is Jesus. It's a person. And he says it's a valuable stone. Why is it so valuable? Well, the cornerstone, again, like I said, is the very first stone you lay. It's the most important. It sets the dimensions of the building or the angle in which the building is going to be built. It supports most, if not all, the weight. Take that stone out and the whole building is going to crumble. Take that stone out of the way and you're going to get some different shape, different kind of, of building uh, than you should have. It's, in other words, this cornerstone just determines the rest of the project. Also, like I said, I've just said a second ago, cornerstones supply support and stability. And so he's saying here, Peter is saying, again, it's ironic that here's Peter, who's a rock. His name means rock, is talking about the stone and says, Jesus supplies support and strength and security in your life. I mean, let's just admit it. If we haven't figured this out in the last couple of years, life is pretty unpredictable. I was talking to someone and said, you can't spell 
life without spelling if. It's like it's right in the middle of the word. Just reminding you, it's very unpredictable. It's very uncertain. And what do we tend to do when life is uncertain? Because it's uncertain, we're trying to find something to bring us security. And so we go after, let me say, various other kinds of stones. They appear to be stable. They appear to give us security. They appear to be solid, but uh, they're not as solid. We soon discover they're not as solid as we thought they were. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, money, for example. If I have just enough money, I'll have, I'll achieve, we call it what? Financial security. And it, yeah, if it's not that, maybe it's a possession or two. Something that gives us some kind of mooring that we go, okay, I know I'm doing well because I have this home or this car or this thing, this latest gadget. I'm in control. See where it's going? Maybe it's power. You know, I, I, I'm noticing something. I'm, as I'm getting older, I am uh, running into other people my age that aren't doing well. Is that going to happen to me? Am I going to end up in a bed somewhere, curled up in a fetal position, staring at the sky because I have dementia? Something's going to get me, right? Something's going to get you. That's in front of me. And just when I think I've got right now, I've got, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to slip a little. You say, Tim, you were slipping 20 years ago. <laughs> OK, but I, I just noticed that I'm noticing I'm just not as sharp as I used to be. I'm forgetful. I drop a lot of things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I feel like I'm going through puberty again. I'm dropping stuff and spilling stuff and breaking stuff. Now this power that I used to have or I feel like I've got and I've really got a lot of control over, I'm starting to lose control. My body doesn't respond like it used to. People don't listen to me like they used to. The phone calls don't happen as often. That's that's Guys, we're just reminded more and more all the time how little control we really have. Or maybe we're popular and we've, we've done a lot of things and people, you know, applaud and, and admire us, but those trophies gather dust and soon end up in the trash heap, don't they? That's what we learn about this, that life is just so unpredictable and yet we grab for these stones, these different things that, that seem to give us security, but they only give it to us for a little while. They don't really last. The money comes and goes. We're now in, having experiencing a thing called inflation. I paid $11 for a packet of bacon and wigged out. And my wife looks at me and goes, where have you been? I said, I, 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 what happened? She goes, man, it's been going up all this time. Wake up. And I listened to a guy who had an Audi convertible. We put a windshield in this week. And it, it's an Audi convertible. And his son is driving it. I'm going... I want to be your son. You know, who gives a kid an Audi convertible? And he goes, yeah, they're only good for like three or four years. This thing looked like it was in perfect condition. But what's the problem? They rust. They wear out. And sometimes, you know, your name might be in some circles 
Oh, wow, yeah, it's real popular, but soon your name isn't as mentioned as much, and maybe if it is, it's because of criticism. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening now. It all just changes on us. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. I'm about to say something. What you build your life on is more important than what you build your life with. Now, you're saying, wait a minute, Tim. I think it's important what you build. I got scripture. and You do have scripture for what you build your life with. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying what's more important is what you build your life on. In fact, I think what you build your life on determines what you build your life with. So it's very important what I build my life on. And Jesus makes this crystal clear when he talks about the wise and foolish builders. And I know many of you here are very familiar with that passage. You could teach me a few things about it. You got What I noticed is you've got these two houses being built. It seems like they're across the street from each other or at least close. And they're both very similar. They're both houses. They're both... It's a construction project. And and they seem to have the same kind of elements. You know, like every house has a roof. Every house has a window. Every life has relationships. Maybe some wealth of some sort. Some money here and there. Some things. You know, we have that in common. And what I also noticed the same thing. Something else that happens is the same. Storms come to both houses. Both houses get hit with something hard, tragic, traumatic, confusing. Why me? Because you're a human being, that's why. That's what Jesus is saying. You're gonna, even as, as somebody who, wherever, wherever you build your house, you're gonna, you can't, where's the safest place to live? If I go one place, the tornadoes are there. If I go another place, the earthquakes are there. And if I go another place, the hurricanes get me. There's no place you can go without some kind of storm, right? And life is that way too. No, the only thing that's different about that parable is one is built on sand and one's built on rock. And, and the storms come and the house on the sand just falls flat. While the house on rock stands firm. It's not so much what you build your life with, but what you build your life on. You see that? And I think the sooner, the sooner you know this and sooner you do this, the more secure your life can be. I say this to every young person, say to every teenager, if they're watching or listening, The sooner you make Jesus Christ the stone you start with, the better off you're going to be. You may have cancer. You might have a tragedy. You may lose a child. You may go bankrupt. But you will still be secure. That's promised. It says you'll not be disappointed. Is that what it says? Yeah. Never be disappointed. doesn't say never be in danger. Never be hurt. Never experience loss. You'll never be disappointed. I've been to a couple of funerals lately. I'm getting ready to do another one this Friday. The contrast between when a Christian dies and when someone who isn't a believer dies is striking. The tears are there, but they're different tears. I watched Jim and Bob and Ron mourn over Nona's death, but it was... Bittersweet. 
because she was a believer. And I watch another family just losing it because there's no hope. And I'm saying if you're young, the sooner you can get this cornerstone in place, the more stable your life's going to be. Quit goofing off is what I want to say to you. Quit quit thinking church is old-fashioned. Quit thinking about your future in terms of education and position and job and how much you're going to make an hour. Get your head out of the ground because later in life, when you're at the top of your home, your life, and you're putting the finishing touches on, you're going to look down and say, I am so glad I started with that stone. Now, if you're somebody who's a little older and you say, man, I got a late start. I don't know if I've got that cornerstone. You know what you need to do? Time to remodel, major remodel. Tear it all down and start with that stone. It's never too late. But he needs to be this. Because he's this cornerstone, I can have a secure life. I love this. Um, David says this. In the middle of running from Saul, look what he says in Second Samuel. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my place of safety. David, your life is in danger. Saul is trying to kill you. Yeah, and the Lord is my place of safety. He's my rock. But David, you had to flee for your own life. I mean, there's people right now trying to find a way to kill you. I know, and the Lord is my rock and my fortress. And I'm in safety, Tim. No, you're not. You're going to get killed if you're not careful. You need to stay. You need to hide. No, I'm going to be fine. If I'm going to hide anywhere, it's in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to be, I'm going to stay with the Lord and he'll supply me safety. Look at this in Psalms 40. He pulled me out. This is David again. He pulled me out of a dangerous pit, out of a deadly the quicksand. He set me safely on the rock and made me secure. Let me read this to you. I found this. When the pressures of life bear down on you, there's only one stone capable of handling the weight. When your need for guidance is urgent, there's only one stone you can trust to keep your life straight. That's the cornerstone. It's Jesus. Number two, because Jesus is a living stone, I can know Jesus today. I don't know about you, but guys, I never have associated rocks with something alive. You know? How you doing, Rock? No, no. There's a fellow years ago uh, that um, was at a bar, and he was talking to his friends, and they were talking about uh, pets. The hassle it is to take care of pets. You got to feed them, you got to clean after them, got to take them for a walk. They get sick, got to take them to the vet, and they're all sitting around talking. And and finally, this fellow spoke up, and he said, "You know, um, I think I know what make a great pet." They said, what's that? A rock. A rock? Yeah, you don't have to take it out for a walk. You don't have to, you don't have to give it a bath. You don't have to feed it. You don't have to worry about getting sick. And as they're all laughing at the bar, Gary Dahl sits there and goes, hmm, and decides to try something, a marketing idea. And he introduces in 1975 the pet rock. Anybody got a pet rock by chance still? Look at there. We got a pet rock owner. There we go. I knew Bob would have a pet rock. You probably got a lot of pet rocks. 
And it, you know, those pet rocks came in a little box with air holes at the top. I'm not kidding. And, and, uh, there was a little booklet, how to take care of your pet rock. And it says, please read carefully before you take the rock out of the box. You know, you don't have to teach it to set. It, one of the things that said, you don't have to teach it to set, but you might have to help it learn to walk. And they said, so you take your pet rock in your hand and give it a roll, roll it, roll over. There you go, baby. And if you wanted to attack, just give it a toss. And man, <laughs> that's the truth. I mean, this is the goofiest. You say, well, this is silly. Yeah, I know. But in six months, he sold four million of these for four dollars a piece. Do the math. Multi-millionaire in six months. Don't you wish you'd have thought of that? Peter says there is a rock that's alive. He says it's Jesus Christ. And, he, and by the way, he says, it's like uh, he's using it metaphorically. Sure. Yeah, he's, he's saying it metaphorically. And what's his point? He's saying you can have a secure, a secure and growing relationship and a permanent relationship with Jesus if you want it. You know, um, and it's hard to break. It's hard to break this. Why? Because his love is everlasting. It endures. It doesn't wear out. It's hard to break his love. You can't break a relationship with God over a slip of the tongue or a dirty thought. It's going to take more than that, folks. It's going to take a lot because who would, who would know this? Peter would know this because he would stick his foot in his mouth. He'd do stupid stuff all the time. And where do you find Jesus? Still there. Still there. Peter would move, follow Jesus from a distance. Well, where's Jesus? He didn't move. You see, he came to this earth and he came to stay. He, his love came to stay. And I don't know where you are when it comes to this relationship with God, but I'll tell you what, because he's a living stone, you can have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Look how Peter says it here. The Lord Jesus is a living stone. The people of the world decided that they did not want this stone. But he is the one God chose as one of great value. And look what it says. So come to him. So come to him. It goes on to say, and you're living stones. You're like living stones. And together you're building this place, this building made of people, this safe place. Oh. We need to be a safe place, don't we? Yeah. Built, we're, as we work and as we, it says, as we work as priests offering sacrifices, there's ministry in this place that he's building. And we work together. He holds us together like that cornerstone. Gives us the strength. Verse 6 says, The Scriptures say, Look, I have chosen a cornerstone of great value, and I put that stone in Zion, 
And again, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed. Jesus is a living stone. And you and I can have that secure relationship with God. We just need to come to that stone. If there's a distance between me and Jesus, he did not move. He remains. Here's the third thing that I notice. Why is this, why is Jesus, this stone so important? Because Jesus is a touchstone. And that means I'll be tested. What are you talking about? I know, what a weird, what a weird point. But the Bible says this in Proverbs 17.3, A hot furnace tests silver and gold in the same way the Lord tests a person's heart. And that's exactly what a touchstone does. See, a touchstone, the way it works is it's a dark stone. It's usually flat, a very a very dense stone. And what would happen is a fellow, they would call an assayer or a metallurgy type person that worked with precious metal, would melt this gold and streak it across the stone. And when he did that, it left kind of a residue or a film. And then he would take the ore that was mined, he would melt it down and streak it beside it and compare the two. And he could make a judgment on how the quality, the grade, how much impurity was in this new ore, the condition of this ore. And see, Jesus exposes, as a touchstone, he exposes two people. Or two, in two ways. First, he reveals everything about God. That's the first thing. That's what Jesus does as a touchstone. He reveals everything there is about God. Look what the Bible says here in Deuteronomy 32. The Lord is a rock, is the rock, and his, his work is perfect. Yes, all of his ways are right. God is true and faithful. He is good and he's honest. And when you look at Jesus Christ, he has all these qualities. Doesn't he? He has every one of these qualities. He's perfect, sinless. Is he right? I t- yes, always right, never wrong. God is true. He tells the truth. Is he faithful? He never gives up. Faithful to the point of dying on the cross. That's how faithful he is. Is he good? Is he just? Yes. But not only does, does Jesus as a touchstone reveal what God's all about, Everything about God, He reveals everything about you and I. He's going to reveal everything about you and I. Look at this passage in Romans 9. The Scriptures talk about this stone. This is Paul talking now. Look, I put put in Zion a stone that will make people stumble. It is a rock that will make people fall. But anyone who trusts in in Him will never be disappointed. What is this about? Well, like a touchstone, you see, Jesus reveals where I stand with him, how I really feel about him, what matters to me, whether he's a nuisance or whether he's a joy, whether he's a burden or whether he's a blessing, whether he's a bother or a pain or a pleasure. I was looking during the praying time, some of you prayed for me. I appreciate that because I found something. And again, in First Peter, let me read First Peter to you here. As Peter goes on there talking about this living stone, then he says in verse 7, Now to you who believe this stone is precious. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. It matters to you. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The stone that causes men to stumble 
and the rock that makes them fall. And then it says this. They stumble because they disobey the message. You want to know if if Jesus is causing you to stumble? What do you do when you hear something from him that you're not doing? See, I'm never offended when Jesus, I'm never offended by certain things that Jesus says because I'm obeying. Right? If someone says, you know, the Bible says you ought to be at church on a regular basis, which it does. I have no problem with that. Why? Why? Because I am. <laughs> ah, but don't we all have something where Jesus speaks up and like a touchstone shows us, hey, you're not so hot. What are you going to do about that? It come, And it, it, re, it reveals our disobedience. That's where it comes from. We stumble. We're offended by Jesus because of something. Really, we're disobeying. I listened to somebody uh, tell me a story where they've been trying to help someone. And this person was struggling with addiction. And he looks to this fellow and says, you know, and this, this has happened this week. He said, you know, you've been talking to me, opening the Bible up with me and trying to help me. But I refuse to listen. And he had to be in rehab for four months. He's stumbling across this stone. It's it's making his life difficult. Why? Because he because you and I, what makes it difficult sometimes, let's face it, we disobey. We're not really trusting the Lord there. Maybe it's something to do with our marriage. We don't want to trust the Lord there. The workplace, we don't want to trust the Lord there. Our small group, we don't want to trust the Lord there. We have a place where we stop. And whereas our heart is as hard as a rock. I think in one place, the Bible says that we not only will Jesus cause people to stumble, but a stone could fall on them and crush them as well. We'll talk about that in a second. Look at this Bible. Look at the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 3. And and the quality of each man's work will be seen when the day of Christ exposes it. For on that day, fire will reveal everyone's work. The fire will test it and show if it's of its real quality. You see, you and I someday are going to be tested. The touchstone of God is going to test us to see whether or not, whether or not we really love him, whether or not we really are going to, we really obeyed him, what we did with our life. And so because he's a touchstone, I will be tested. You and I will be judged. Here's the fourth one. Because Jesus is the capstone, I can finish strong. You know anybody that starts stuff and doesn't finish them? Look what the Bible says here. For Jesus of Nazareth is a stone discarded by the builders, which became the capstone of the arch. This is a very tricky word. Because the word cornerstone and capstone are the same word. And sometimes the location of it. Uh, have you ever heard of the word keystone? And not cops, but you know, keystone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's talking about a stone that fits right in the middle of an arch. It's that weird looking trapezoid. It's a trapezoid stone. There are, there are now, uh, arches, Roman arches, 
Imagine this, 2,000 years ago, Roman arches constructed the aqueducts and they're still standing today and there's not, there's no mortar between them. It's all pressure and gravity, distributing all the pressure and gravity or the, the pressure of, of the weight is what supports it. And, and while the cornerstone marks the beginning of a project, the capstone marks the completion. Um, let me give you, let's say it this way. Okay, this stone here is from Hungry Horse, Montana. Vernon and I uh, went to Spotted Bear River. And I got it because I got it out of the river and it's got spots on the stone. Weird, huh? Weird. This stone here, you probably wonder, take a gander. This is granite. This is from Crazy Horse. They had piles of it. You could make a donation, take as many as you want. My boys took almost a truckload. Well, it's free rock, Dad. Well, we got to make a donation. So they gave a dollar. And they're carrying these rocks around. We've got them all over the place at our house. You know what I notice about these rocks? They tell me, they remind me where I've been. The capstone reminds me of where I'm going. Think about that. The capstone is saying, hey, there's work to be done. And, and I want to complete what I've began in you, Tim. That's what I think is exciting about the capstone. It completes the project. Like a retaining wall, you have that capstone. Or if you're building a stone, a stone building, that last stone says, done. And it's, you say, well, well, so you mentioned a minute ago, Tim, that the capstone and the cornerstone are the same word. So which is it? Like, it's the same stone. That's like saying Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Well, which is he? The beginning or the end? Hey, he's both. And this, and Jesus being this stone, not only wants to be involved at your beginning, but he wants to be involved at your end. He wants to complete you and finish you. Look at this Hebrews 2 verse. Let us look only to, and that's keep our eyes on, Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. In other words, completes it. I asked you a minute ago, do you know anybody that starts stuff and doesn't finish them? I know lots of people. Let me point them out this morning. Me. I got so many projects I've started. I got a swing. I, I've, I, halfway done. Now, I'm working on some landscaping right now. Halfway done. I'm, I'm working right now tearing down a shed. A thirtieth done, you know. I mean, I've got half, half stuff, half built, half made, half stuff. Maybe you've got a book. It's half read somewhere. You know, we, we, we just love, I love starting stuff. But what happened, what happened, Tim? I don't know. I know what happened to him. What? You got lazy, didn't you? Yeah. I'll tell you what else. You, you, you got tired. Yeah. You got impatient. You wanted to hurry up and get that done and you did, you, it's going to take more time. So you just moved on to something else. You're right. Busted. Got me. Oh, I think I know another reason why you quit some of your projects. What's that? It needed more money and you didn't, you don't want to put any more money in it. You know, it costs to finish projects. Like Luke 14, remember the guy that weighs, weighs it out? Can I finish it? And if he doesn't have enough and starts and can't complete it, what's it say? 
Everybody will ridicule him. It's a sad thing to see half-built stuff and half-done stuff. I don't need anybody to point out, and I do have somebody at my house that points out these half-finished jobs. And I always go, here comes the shame. I know. I know. I don't need anybody to point it out. They point it out. And, and I have this desire. Oh, man, I'd love to get that swing finally done. I made it out of barnwood from Denise's grandmother. You know, I'd love to get that done so she could enjoy that. I'd love to get that shed torn down or that, that landscape done. I would love to be able to get, why don't I do it? Maybe I've lost motivation. Where am I going? Where are you going with this, Tim? Well, do you notice any unfinished things in your life? When it comes to the kingdom? You see, God is not done with you. And contrary to gossip, God is not done with Greater Alton Church. Now, there's some people that think, stick a fork in it, it's over. And they want to stick a fork in you and say, you're done. But you know it and I know it. We're not done. God isn't finished with us. He has so much more He wants to do. Well, the question is, will I take on that project? He has a capstone waiting for me. He wants me to experience. What is it? I know there's a lot of things that's thrilling, but man, you got to admit, when you get something done and you complete it, doesn't it feel good? You got the last piece of trim up or the last thing painted or the last thing, you know, everything's prepared. Ready. It's done. Oh, God has. He wants you to share that. He wants you to have that. He wants you to experience that. And see, when you partner up with the Lord, He can help you finish strong. I love Philippians. Paul says, He was always a work in progress. A work in progress. Let's say it again. A work. In progress. In other words, it's moving. It's not stymied. It's not stopped. He says, God began, began doing a good work in you and he will continue, continue it until it's finished. When I ask you this morning, what is God wanting to do in you? What work? What work is he wanting to do through you? Well, I'm going to tell you, he's working on it. You may not be, but he is. He would love you to join in. Remember when God's work began in you, how excited you were, how motivated you were, how thrilled you were? Has that changed? Has the progress, the work slowed down to where it's not even happening? He's the capstone and he wants to finish what he's begun. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're going, man, Tim, it's just hard to get back up. I understand. The Lord will help you get back up. Trust the Lord. You'll not be disappointed in the finished product. So as we close this morning, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just to ask yourself. I'm asking them too. What are you building your life on? In other words, what would you say has been your cornerstone? As a living stone, you have a relationship with Jesus. As a living stone, what are you and Jesus working on together to build his kingdom? 
Since Jesus is the touchstone, what's he revealing about you? And let me ask you this final question. Is there anything that's keeping you from finishing? We have a card and a bulletin. And it's a chance to write maybe some thoughts down, maybe a prayer, maybe a commitment. If you've made a, you're saying, you know what, I want to get to work again. Why not write that down? Why not let the people who get those prayer cards see that and go, oh wow, look, he wants to work again. He wants to, she wants to get back on, back on track again. I'm going to pray for that person right now. Let them pray for you. He's a stone. He's rock solid. He's not going anywhere. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for just a good good singing, Father. And thank you for... Thank you for bringing something solid and enduring to this earth. Everything seems to pass away. I think about even in 1 Corinthians 13, faith and hope... They pass away, but love doesn't. It always lasts. And Father, help us see your love is so solid that we can count on it. It's always there. I think about Denise and I, we were going, we're driving through Gatlinburg and we're driving through that brook that we saw over 40 years ago as honeymooners. Those rocks were still there. Thank you for your love still being there. Your purpose hasn't changed. Your, your passion for us hasn't changed. The mission you've given us hasn't changed. Thank you for that. Father, help us move closer to you to come to you, the living stone, and find security. Help us not rely on the, the stones of this world because they, they, they melt away. They'll be burned up. But you are forever. Help us trust that knowing that we'll never be disappointed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.